the Danish philosopher, I don't know if you've heard of Soren Kierkegaard, um, but one of the few things he's written that I can easily understand is um, he, this one quote of his that was from a letter that he wrote to a relative who was suffering from some pretty extreme depression. And he said, every day I walk myself into a state of well-being and walk away from every illness. I have walked myself into my best thoughts, and I know of no thought so burdensome that one cannot walk away from it. If one just keeps on walking, everything will be all right. And sometimes this statement seems true to me, because many important people in my life have agreed with Kierkegaard's statement, um, and with this whole idea of walking, um, walking to work through things. One of my mentors in ministry swears by a quote attributed to Augustine of Hippo. It is solved by walking. And so whenever our group would try to meet with her one-on-one, -on -one, she would insist on walking and talking instead of just sitting down and staring at each other while we talked. And so perhaps those two disciples on the road to Emmaus were hoping to do just this. Perhaps they were hoping to walk themselves into a state of well-being and away from the traumatic disappointment of the crucifixion in Jerusalem. Perhaps they were hoping to walk themselves into a solution that would make sense of Jesus' empty tomb. Perhaps they were hoping that everything would be all right if they just kept on moving. Or perhaps they were just trying to get home and get on with the rest of their lives. Well, Jesus overtakes them on the route, on the road, on the route to Emmaus. And oddly enough, when Jesus overtakes them, they fail to recognize him. They have known, that, known him for years, and they cannot see who he is. He doesn't, they don't know who he is. And they, he asks them what they are talking about and then listens patiently to their frustration. And then Jesus goes on to teach these two disciples from all of the Old Testament scriptures, all of the things about himself, about how he is not just a prophet, he is more than a prophet, and how as Messiah it was necessary that he would suffer and die. That must have been the best Bible study ever. I wish I could have been a speck of dust on the sandals of one of those disciples just to get to hear directly from Jesus what he would pick out from scripture to say about himself. But even so, even with all this privileged information, this hermeneutical glory, they still continue to fail to see Jesus and um, recognize him for who he is. Luke tells us specifically that not only did they um, not see him, but they were kept from recognizing Jesus even though they've known him in the flesh. So what is this obstacle that keeps the two on the road to Emmaus from recognizing Jesus? Well, I would say that this, it, whatever kept them from recognizing Jesus is the same obstacle today that can keep us from seeing Jesus for who he really is. We are often presented with false images and understandings of Jesus by our culture, um, whether it's presented by the History Channel or some other avenue, or um, sometimes other well-meaning Christians can give us a skewed perspective on Jesus. And very often our own hearts prefer to pick and choose which parts of Jesus we are most comfortable with. We see this phenomenon in biblical scholarship. 
Um, in the last couple hundred years, um, there has been this search for the so-called historical Jesus back beyond what is called the Christ of faith. Who was the real Jesus who lived and walked in Palestine? These scholars want to ask, and their assumption is that surely the pages of scripture fail to disclose who this real Jesus is. And so we must put on our detective's eyeglasses, and we then they then cast votes on different sections of scripture in order to determine what parts of scripture are actually true according to their own modernist criteria. And they leave, in that criteria, they leave no room for supernatural intervention. So you can imagine how many passages in the New Testament they have to cut out and throw away. When they do that, they're essentially saying what um, all of us say at one time or another, I will choose about this Jesus. I will pass judgment on whether the Jesus of the New Testament is real. We see this same phenomenon of human blindness um, in the Jesus films of the last 50 years. Some of you know that I've um, made it, or at one point made it a little bit of a hobby of mine to watch all of those consecutively. There's something about this, the films of the 70s in particular. They showed more of Jesus than the very early um, films, which were so reverent that they would show only his hand or his foot or a part of Jesus and not his actual face. But then all of that changes in the 70s with the Jesus musical, like Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar. And there we see the image put forward in Godspell that Jesus is no more than a peace-loving hippie. Or in Jesus Christ Superstar, um, Andrew Lloyd Webber wants us to see Jesus simply as a misguided martyr. Poor, poor man. He could have stopped it all, um, and yet he went to his own destruction. So we see that those images put forward by our pop culture are incorrect, inaccurate, when placed against the Jesus of Scripture. So we might even sometimes ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? WWJD? We might think about that. But even as we ask that question, if we ask that question apart from Scripture, then we are basically answering the question based on what we would like for Jesus to do. Um, what, so that we can then go, go home and justify what we would like to do. Um, as human beings, I would say that it's one aspect of our fallen nature that we cannot on our own see Jesus as he really is because we like to make him out into our own image. Jesus made in our image. Thank you very much. And so we're each kept from recognizing the real Jesus, just like those two disciples on the way to Emmaus. Cleopas, one of the, the only disciple that's named, he sums up his despair and confusion about Jesus' crucifixion and the empty tomb when he says, and you hear the, the little tone of whining in his voice, he says, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. One phrase, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel, gets to the very heart of his failure and our failure to recognize the real Jesus. Because the redemption that Cleopas was looking for was a, a redemption that was limited to freedom from external circumstances. Freedom, in their case, in the case of Israel in the first century, from the oppression of a foreign nation. This time it was Rome who was oppressing them. And he wanted freedom, they all wanted freedom, 
just like God had won that freedom and redemption for them so long ago in their historical past as a people when God brought them out of bondage in Egypt. Redemption itself means buying back a swap, a price paid. And my uh, most tangible contemporary illustration of this idea of the principle of redemption comes from my own early experiences as a child spending time with my grandmother. There are some family traits that um, are probably not genetic but very often get passed down from one generation to another. And in my family, one of those traits is an intense frugality. So during the summers, my parents were so glad to leave me and my three siblings with my grandparents so that they could get away and catch their breath. And I remember going around with my grandmother on all of her regular um, errands. You know, we did special things too, but she would bring us around, come along with me to the grocery store. And whenever we went to the grocery store, we had to carry these bags of bottles and cans with us clinking, and um, it was a real pain in the neck. You would bring all the bottles in, at the front of the grocery store, there was a little room. You'd go into the room, and um, you would put the bottles in the cans, each one by one. And at a certain age, this was very exciting to me. Put the bottles in the cans, one by one, into the machine, and you get five cents back. That's great. Five cents back is great. Um, and so over this little room at the front of the grocery store is a sign that says, Redemption Center. <laughs> There's some genius 25 years ago that knew that if only they could pay New Englanders a nickel a can, they could get everyone to start recycling. And they were right. To this day, my mother still carries around with her bottles and cans to bring back to the grocery store so she can get five cents a pop. Well, Cleopas and his companion had hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel buy Israel back, but they misunderstood, they underestimated the cost of that redemption. They forgot, even their own history, that when God redeemed Israel from Egypt so long ago, it came at a steep price, at the cost of the firstborn son of every Egyptian family. Do you remember that from Sunday school? They forgot that piece of information, and so they underestimated the depth of Israel's problem because they also narrowly thought it was just about an external bondage. And so they failed to take into account the scope and the power of sin and death, the real internal problem, plaguing not only the people of Israel, but all people of the world. Their blindness meant that they failed to recognize God's solution when they saw it before, him, before them that week in Jerusalem, in Jesus' crucifixion, and then his resurrection. God saved them through Jesus' death and resurrection and us, and it came at a cost, at the cost of his very own son, the life of his son for our life. Like my grandmother and like my mother, my frugality shows itself in the fact that I am a bargain shopper. I pride myself on almost never paying full, full price. You will never, almost never, see me pay full price. But if there's something that I really would like to have that strikes me for some reason as being worth it, as having um, the beauty or um, the usefulness um, that would cause me to say, no, I'll just sign on the dotted line. I will pay full price 
for that item, then I will splurge. And when I splurge on that one item, whether it's a piece of furniture or something for my house or whatever it is, I treat that one item with a lot of respect. I protect it. It is valuable and precious to me because I paid full price for it. But when we think about redemption, we very often talk about the, the depth of our debt in sin. And it's true, the depth of our debt, the depth of sin is high. And the price is high. That's why the price is high. But not only is the price so steep, and that's why um, God sends Jesus, but also in Jesus, God has seen us as being of that value. The value that he would pay full price. That he would even pay so much as to send his own son to the cross to die for us. So that we might have the forgiveness of sins and the freedom that comes from knowing that all is well between us and God. And so God is the original big spender. He spends big and we're worth it because of the value that he imparts to Jesus. And so for these two disciples, they misunderstand, they don't get it until the obstacle is removed from their eyes. When is the obstacle removed from their eyes? But at the point where they've invited Jesus into the, probably their own home to receive bread, have dinner with them, Jesus turns from guest to host very quickly, and he takes the bread, he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, and he gives it to them. And it's at that moment when the bread is broken and given to them that they recognize him for who he is. They might not have been in the upper room with the 12 apostles when Jesus did the same thing, but they surely would have heard about it. That night before Jesus' death, when Jesus did the very same thing, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it to them. And he said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. This is my body which is broken for you. And it is in the brokenness of Jesus' body for us, the brokenness of his body in the way that he went to the cross for us, that we can recognize him as he really is. Because on our own, apart from scripture, we will never know the real Jesus. But God is so willing to break through and to open our unseeing eyes and our disbelieving hearts, even when, and especially when we have failed to solve our own problems and to solve our own confusion and to solve our own disbelief by trying to just walk out of it and walk into faith. Sometimes we strive and we cannot overcome. And it's in that moment when we ask God to help us to open our eyes that he delights to reveal himself. So at that moment, when Cleopas and his companion saw Jesus for who he really is, what did they do? But they got up. I think they jumped up from the table. They went out the door and they went back to Jerusalem. Just a few short verses before they had been saying, oh, it's late. It's getting to be nighttime. We're going to go. We, got, we all have to come inside. No more walking on the road. Don't you walk on the road either, Jesus, so that we don't know you're Jesus. And then after they see Jesus for who he is, they have this newfound energy. 
they get up and the road to Emmaus is now the road from Emmaus. And I think that journey must have taken them a lot less time because they were no longer weighed down with confusion and disbelief. They went back to bear witness to who Jesus is. So we, too, as we are on this long walk of the Christian journey, we might feel as those two felt as they left Jerusalem. Like those pilgrims at the beginning of the story, we might feel weighed down, burdened, full of doubt and confusion, wanting just to go back home to what is familiar to our own self, our own nature. But as we see and know Jesus as he really is, as we receive the freedom and forgiveness and the joy that comes from knowing that God does not hold our sin against us, but he has bought us back, purchased us at a high price, at full market price, and then that Jesus is alive, those truths, they turn us around. The road in front of us becomes a much easier path to tread. And then we go lightly, unburdened, out to bear witness to who Jesus is and to what he has done for us. So let us pray. Dear Lord God, open our eyes to see the depth of our debt. And open our eyes to see the glory of your solution as you sent Jesus to pay full price to buy us back from sin and death. Speak to us now of your great love for us in him, that we might be transformed and go out from here with peace and great joy. In Jesus' name, amen.